All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome to, I guess, what has become our YouTube channel. Thank you so much to uh, Roger Cobb for putting everything together, making it function. And um, yeah, also I'm just so thankful for the, the beautiful days that we've had of late and looking forward to right after this, going to head out into the hills hopefully with my family and do some hiking and uh, just get away from all the, the uh, I guess, just the thoughts of everything that everybody's thinking about and, and all that. So anyway, uh, I hope that you are doing well uh, in this season of social distancing. I know that this is sort of a paradise for uh, you people that suffer from social anxiety, you introverts, but we're praying, uh, the rest of us are anyway, that your sabbatical is, uh, is coming to an end. Uh, for those of you with kids at home, uh, I pray that your time together is beneficial. Uh, what a great time to love on your kids and discipline them in the faith. Uh, do service projects together for our seniors. It's, it happens to be spring, and our lousy grass is starting to grow, but uh, it's a good chance to go and mow yards for uh, those that are hiding out in their homes or just can't do the work themselves. Um, also, as I've been calling through the directory and talking to our seniors and uh, those with illnesses that, that, that make them at higher risk uh, for what's going on, greater danger, uh, I've got nothing but good responses. People seem to be chirpy and, and, uh, and hopeful. Uh, their needs are being met, and they're just, just waiting it out. The biggest complaint that I've gotten so far is that people are beginning to get a little lonely. Uh, so that's an indication for the rest of us to do our best to stay in touch with these people and encourage them. Uh, anyway, as time goes on, uh, people's needs will begin to sneak up on us, both physically and emotionally. And uh, so let's be uh, paying attention and making ourselves available. Uh, don't be afraid to interrupt their boredom with a phone call, uh, uh, with Skype or FaceTime. As you know, uh, a number of people, uh, especially the, the older generation, they're not as savvy with technology, and so it might be good for you to try to help them get connected on the various social platforms that the church is using. Uh, if you can't do that for them, let us know and we'll do it. Um, also, I want to continue to remind us all about things that we can be praying for. Uh, continue to pray for our community, of course, our country and the world. Uh, government officials are making tough decisions for everyone, not just for us, but their own families. Pray for our doctors and our nurses, other medical professionals that are serving the sick and uh, trying to put together a more efficient game plan, a more effective one uh, for all that's happening. And uh, as you may know, a number of vaccines are being tested around the world, uh, even right here in Seattle. So I pray that uh, God would use modern medicine to curve this plague. Uh, keep praying that God would uh, preserve our loved ones, especially uh, those of, in the senior community. Uh, something to be aware of is um, I've been hearing about various conspiracy theories. They always abound, uh, and they always try to find the easiest target. But recently, there's some talking about how government is using social distancing to some nefarious purpose. And uh, we need to be aware of this stuff. We need to have our, our hearts and our minds grounded in the, the scriptures. But I think even more disturbing is that even some religious leaders uh, are using the scriptures to justify 
gathering in large numbers as if social distancing uh, will cause us to disobey God, uh, saying that social distancing is done out of fear rather than faith. Uh, But let's not forget, uh, as people of the scriptures, that for certain purposes, social distancing uh, and quarantine were instituted by God himself in the book of Leviticus uh, for the health and preservation of his own people. Uh, People with leprosy and other diseases were quarantined outside of the cities of Israel, and the people were to keep their distance from them so not to spread the disease. Therefore, if our father instituted these measures out of his love for his people, then we should take these same precautions if we love people. Uh, We don't distance ourselves and take precautions out of fear, but because of the wisdom God has given us and the love that we have for others. So if you love people as our God does, you'll take precautions for their sake. Uh, Please, so anyway, guard yourself from the foolishness of fools, as the book of Proverbs would counsel us. My greatest concern at this point, other than the safety and the needs of our loved ones, is doing our best to encourage people in Christ and how to creatively come alongside the people of our fellowship. So pray for the elders and myself as we process this stuff and uh, how it is we might better just engage uh, people for the sake of ministry, not just us as individuals, but I mean for our whole church body. Now, for our Thursday night studies, we've decided to hold off on the Bible survey in order to keep people posted on what's going on and, uh, and how they can be of a help. And then we'll spend the rest of our time in devotion. Uh, a few Thursdays back, when we were looking over the book of Romans, uh, I encouraged the group to memorize Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. And uh, you might as well turn there. We're going to be there eventually. Uh, but my family and I had memorized this section of scripture a few years ago. And then we moved on to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17, which we recite frequently during family worship. But recently, we've started memorizing Romans 12, 9 through 21 again, and we're about two-thirds of the way through it. Even Asher, who is six, uh, has it memorized. And once again, for us, it's produced a ton of great conversation and questions for our family worship in the morning with plenty of application throughout the day. And uh, I, I don't think it's by coincidence that God has brought us back to this section of Scripture. It's loaded with, with all things applicable and relevant to our current situation. My mind has frequently wandered back to the text when I'm listening to the news, uh, when I'm walking through the grocery store, eavesdropping on people's conversations, uh, observing their faces. And, and, and I think and you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, you're listening to the news, which is all bad. And for just a moment, to a small degree, your heart gives in to the world's unbelief and fear. And you feel just a a twinge of panic in your heart, a bit of despair. And then God's grace intercepts your thoughts and restores you to a place of trust in the Lord, really, to a sound mind. And as Paul told Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. And the truth is, sobriety of thought comes really from renewing our minds according to the truth of God's word and our vision and understanding of him. And that's actually where uh, Paul introduces, or how he introduces rather, Romans chapter 12 to us. He begins this way. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it's amazing how many different ways they translate this uh, in order to help us wrap our minds around it. But in, in effect, when our body belongs to the Lord and our mind, our minds rather, are subject to the truth of his word, worship and service are acceptable to him and the goodness of his perfect will is proven through our experience. So the truth of God's word conforms our thinking to Christ's and brings the body in line with his will. And so really the rest of Romans 12 is a description of what our Christian experience should look like as we interact with the body of Christ and the unbelieving world. Uh, this section of, of scripture uh, is a description of Christian behavior and a prescription, we might say, for Christ-likeness. In, in verse three through eight, Paul talks about the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit as he's distributing them to the different members of the body of Christ uh, for its own edification. It's really an abbreviation of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, and then Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, and then also 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. And then it's in verse 9 through 21 where we find sort of a, a Christian manifesto. And that's where I'd like to draw our attention now, this afternoon. I'd like to read it to you from the ESV simply because uh, I like the way they've translated it there, and it's actually the one that my family and I are using for memorization. So let me read that last great section to you, and then we'll begin to look at it. Here it is. Paul says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we love you. We're so thankful, Lord, for your grace to us, your provisions. And we thank you for these beautiful days that we've had, the sunshine. We pray that you would use that to refresh us. And Lord, especially now as we look into your word, um, we ask that you would revive us, Lord, according to your word, according to your loving kindness, as David said. And Lord, as the world around us, the news is chaotic and uh, people are afraid and everything else, we just pray that by faith you would ground us 
As Paul says, we would be anxious for nothing, but that we would seek your face with thanksgiving and prayer and supplication, Lord, and that you might grant us your peace through that. So Lord, we thank you, and we love you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go back to verse nine, where Paul says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. So let love be genuine. The New King James and the NASB actually translated it a little more literally, and, and they're stating it in the negative. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. And the, the Greek word hypocrisy comes from the Greek theater. Uh, it was the word used for actors, those who pretended to be someone or something that they were not. And so Paul is saying here, uh, don't be an actor. Don't pretend to love people. Don't fake it. And you remember, that was one of the great sins of the Pharisees, whom Jesus referred to as hypocrites. They didn't genuinely love the people. They loved the praises of the people. Uh, the, they loved the adoration of the people. For the typical Pharisee, people were a means to an end, not an end in themselves. The Pharisees pretended to love the people in order to get certain things from them. But Jesus, we see, he modeled something very different, and he taught something different. Even though Jesus was worthy of all praise and adoration, he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's Mark 10, verse 45. So serving the ultimate good for the sake of others and giving of oneself sacrificially is love in action. It's genuine. So the phrase selfless love is redundant because love is selfless by nature. And so what a sweet opportunity we have in our current situation to love people for their own sake and to demonstrate the genuine love of Christ that seeks nothing in return. No thanks, no praise, no attention, no reward, but everything for the glory of God and the ultimate good of those that we're loving. So find people to serve and just love them for their own sake. Do it genuinely. Paul goes on to say, abhor what is evil. The NIV says, hate what is evil. And, and it's interesting, the Greek word that Paul used for hatred, it wasn't actually written in isolation. The word is prefixed with a preposition that means away from, away from. It's a, it's a nice word construction. So this kind of hatred should lead us to distance ourselves from the things we're obligated to hate, which is evil. Now people say, but hate is a strong word. Exactly. And nothing is more worthy of our hatred than, is what, is true, than what is truly evil and pernicious. Because evil is everything that is true, truly harmful to what God cherishes, such as his image in man which makes abortion and euthanasia and things of that nature so detestable to God. God cherishes fellowship and therefore he hates sin because sin separates us from him. God loves justice and equity and truth. And so he hates the injustice of, of human trafficking and corruption, every falsehood. So hatred is a strong word, but it makes it appropriate for certain contexts. And evil is the perfect context to apply what we might call our holy hatred. But because of the preposition Paul attached to the word hatred, he's prescribing definitive action for us. Right now, we're, we're being instructed to exercise social distancing in order to slow the spread of the virus, 
Well, Paul is commanding us to despise and distance ourselves from evil. And this is never more necessary than when evil is in us, in our hearts. So what's in our hearts? Jeremiah said this. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's Jeremiah 17.9. And it sounds a little extreme, but what does Paul say about it? He said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. So nothing good dwells in me. And he means us. And that doesn't feel good. When Jesus engaged with the Pharisees, uh, we always see him correcting them for their misguided concerns. They were only concerned about keeping their traditions and with how people perceive them. It was always about the outward appearance. And so they argued with Jesus about eating and hand-washing. But to this, Jesus responded. He said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth which defiles a man. Matthew 5.11. Even Jesus' disciples, they were struggling with this concept. And so Jesus said to them, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Matthew fifteen seventeen through 20. So Jesus agrees with Jeremiah and Paul. Uh, something that Warren Wearsby used to say before he passed was, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Now we could actually look at verses all day that talk about the problem of the heart, but the buck stops with Jesus. His word is final because he sees the whole heart and all of its inner workings and motivations. It's the thoughts and the intents, every ugly thing that we conceal and that we hide, things that we deny. So as there's plenty of evil out there in the world for us to be concerned about, it's the evil in our own heart that we should never, be, uh, that we should never ignore. For the simple fact that it's my own evil that I have to give an account for. So because of sin in us, we've got a lot of distancing to do. And, and that distancing is actually achieved by repentance. Now every person, by the assistance of God's Spirit, should constantly be evaluating their own heart so they know that what they're really made of. And by God's grace, we can hate the evil that resides there. And as we hate it, we can begin to, to distance ourselves from it. Uh, David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxi- anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, if you're like me, It won't take the Lord very long to find anything that is broken inside of you. And if you're like me, you won't like what he finds. But it's good that he finds it. And after he reveals it to you, God is gracious. He'll grant you the grace to despise it, and then he will cleanse you from it. Now David, in many of these these penitent and contrition psalms that he writes, as a result of confessing and returning to the Lord, he anticipated a number of things. And uh, he, said, he said that I would hear joy and gladness again. 
He said that his bones, they rejoiced, his, his iniquities were blotted out, that his, his, as a result his heart was cleansed, his spirit made steadfast, and the joy of his salvation restored. So the evil in the world is certainly a concern, but don't forget about your own con- contribution to the evil of this world. We're a part of the problem. And I guess I would say by God's grace, just learn to hate your own evil, and you'll be better equipped to address the evil that's in the world. And then as we distance ourselves from evil, Paul says, cling to what is good. The word cling literally means to be glued to or fastened firmly together with something. So be glued to what is good, understanding this, all that is truly good is all that God loves. So as you distance yourself from evil, fasten yourself firmly to what God cherishes. Uh, Often I pray with my children that they would hate the things that God hates and that they would love the things that God loves. So they would be appalled by evil primarily in themselves and then they would fight for what is good in this world. Now, whether it's business as usual or as things are in our current distress, I believe the gospel is the greatest good. In fact, the word gospel means good news. And the best news for humanity is that in spite of any temporal danger we might face, the gospel delivers, delivers us from every eternal danger that we would face apart from it. And it secures eternal blessing in the presence of God. But it all begins with forgiveness of all sins, reconciliation to God, fellowship with God, the peace of God, and the hope of eternal life. So, Currently, with everything that's going on, as you serve people and their physical and social needs, make sure that you introduce the gospel as the greatest good for their emotional and spiritual needs. Don't forget your place in this world as God's ambassadors. Now, next Thursday, uh, we'll just continue in the text in verse 10. Uh, I encourage you to memorize the whole section from verse 9 to 21, one verse at a time. I would say one verse, at, at a, uh, one verse a week as we go through it, spending your, work, your week meditating on it and really being creative in your application of it. And uh, I know that seems like a lot of scripture, but if you do one verse every week, I think you can get it. And uh, I look forward to seeing and hearing how God uses the word in these interesting days. So anyway, I love all of you. I miss you guys. I'm praying for you. Uh, can't wait to be back together in fellowship As Roger was saying, uh, when we're allowed to get back together, uh, we should just do one huge potluck and eat together. And, well, I like to eat, so. But anyway, let me leave you with this uh, benediction sort of slash doxology from Paul, and then we'll pray. Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him 
to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you again, Lord. Thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, the things that we've talked about, uh, this opportunity we have to show the world what genuine love is. And uh, I just pray that we would apply it. We would be looking for opportunities. We would seek to love people. And Lord, that we would, would give them what they really need in this whole thing. And people need the hope of the gospel. They need to have an encounter with you that you might deliver them of the fears of this temporal life and give them hope, Lord, of eternal life, life to come. Lord, I thank you for my church family, the privilege it is to be a part of this family, and I just pray for them, pray that you'd bless them, and that you grant your grace to them, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, love you guys, and uh, hope to connect with you Sunday. Bye-bye.